Jesus said in uh, John 10, 9 and 10, he said, I am the door. The person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life, life in all its fullness. Now, what's going on here is Jesus is talking to a group of religious leaders. If you look at uh, chapter 9, he's having this big discussion, theological discussion with them. The first part of John chapter 10, he's explaining something that is very common in their region, in, in the Hebrew culture, and that is shepherds. And he's talking about all of these shepherds that are out in the field, and he says what happens is a shepherd will, will take his sheep, and, and at night he will take them to a sheepfold. Generally at night a sheepfold was, was a group of rocks with open air on the top, but there would be no door, no physical door. So we have one here, but if you just think about this being open, he would lead his sheep into the sheepfold. Once all of them were safely there, he would literally lie down in front of the sheepfold and sleep here at night, putting himself in between danger and the sheep that he loves. And so in the morning after he slept, after he had protected his sheep all night, he would call to his sheep. They would recognize his voice. They would follow him, and he would lead them out to pasture. So very literally, the shepherd became the door to protect them, but he also became the one who provided for them. Be able to come in and go out and find pasture. Go on the next one. He says, A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I came to give life, life in all its fullness. Life in all its fullness at the end there actually means the life you want, the life you've always wanted. Jesus says very literally, if you want to experience the life that I created you to experience, the life in all its fullness, life you've always wanted, he said, you have to come through me. You have choices and decisions on a regular basis that have to come through me, Jesus says. I am the way, not one of many. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Jesus says, I'm the door, and you do not get the life you want, the life you were created for, unless you come through this door. And then he says at the end of this verse, a thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says there is a false shepherd. The false shepherd's job is to steal from you, to kill you, and destroy you. Here's what he wants to do. He wants to stand here and try to get your eyes off of the true door and say, only as you come through me will you experience what you really need. There was a lie when in the Garden of Eden. The very first lie was, you don't have to follow what God tells you to do. If you'll come through this door, you'll have a life that you want and you'll be just like God. You can be your own God. You can make your own rules. But you've got to come through this door. And Jesus says what he wants to do is he wants to steal from you. He wants to steal your joy in life. He wants to kill all of your relationships. And he wants to destroy your future. So very literally, this door, Jesus says, hello, is the door to destruction. Two doors. You have a choice to make. The life you want is through Jesus. The other way is the way to destruction. And some of you are going to say, Oh, Doug, aren't you being a little melodramatic? No, I'm not! That was melodramatic. I'm being very literal and telling you what God's Word says. This isn't my opinion. 
This is what God's Word says. We believe it's authoritative. We believe that God breathed His Word. And He says there are two doors, and you have two choices to make. Each time you choose the thief's door, you are on the path to destruction. Each time you choose the true shepherd's door, God's door, you're on the path to the life that you really want. Now, for example, let's, let's look at one topic today that's probably very real to all of us, and that's the topic of debt. Anybody know what debt is? Yeah, okay. Um, you may be surprised to see that the Bible has a ton to say about debt, and none of it's good. There's a whole lot. And so what God's Word says today, you have a choice whether you're going to follow God's plan to the life you want, to financial freedom, that comes through doing finances God's way. The life that you don't want, the life that leads to bondage and destruction, is following Satan's path. Well, to get our minds focused on this, I've invited nationally known speaker Dave Ramsey to come via video. And this is a portion of his... uh, Uh, Financial Peace University. We're about to run through Financial Peace University again. It's a 13-week course, and this is Lesson 4, and it's called Dumping Debt. Enjoy. Tell me, uh, how many credit cards do you currently have? I carry one card. One credit card? Like 10, probably. Like all the store ones with everything. Two. Ten. Ten. I have five, six credit cards. Five or six? Like a... Visa, a couple American Express, oh, and here comes another one, another Discover, and uh, wow. I got one credit card, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's maxed out. I use it just about for everything that I uh, do, all my purchases right now because of the rewards that I get from the card. All my shopping, hotel reservations, absolutely everything that we possibly can. Everything. <laughs> everything. All sorts, all sorts of things. When you go in places, they make it so easy for you that you are inclined to use them. Do you remember what type stuff you bought with it? Uh, a lot of cash advances. Ooh. Gambling. Ooh. How much do you think you owe on all of yours collectively? Right now, probably about 12000 I don't owe any. You, really? So you have zero on I pay them off every month. I think it's about two seventy-seven. Nearly 20000 Four or 5000 um, it's around five thousand dollars. Whoa, ten thousand up. You are the man on spring break. <laughs> you can, yeah, yeah, you are. You I are. was the man. <laughs> now, what kind of rewards have you been able to get? Cash back. Five thousand dollars on the card. Uh, five times twelve is uh, sixty. Uh, so one hundred and twenty thousand dollars gets you a couple of round trip tickets. Exactly. It's a good deal. Oh, it's a fantastic deal. We wouldn't have taken the trip unless we had done that. Wow, unless you went into credit card debt, you would have never been able to take that Paris trip. I guess so, yeah. Now, how much uh, did you have to spend to get that 275 dollars $30,000. Is that kind of good math? To spend 30000 to get 275 back? You show me something better, and I'll sign up for that one. So, if, if we gave you the money to pay it off right now, you would charge it back up? Um, uh, frankly speaking, yeah. So, did you, how long did it take you to pay it off? Uh, I never did. I quit paying on it. Really? Did they call you? Oh, repeatedly. Please welcome nationally syndicated radio host and New York Times best-selling author, Dave Ramsey.
awesome. Welcome to Dumping Debt, Breaking the Chains of Debt. Get your workbooks out and turn to that lesson so you'll be able to fill in the blanks as we go along. Tonight's lesson is particularly hard for a speaker, a teacher like me. Because, see, my job is to bring you ideas that you accept as your own. That's called learning. If you accept them as your own, it's going to cause you to go do things differently than you used to do things. The problem I've got this evening is I've got an uphill battle because this lesson goes directly perpendicular against everything in our culture. Just about every message out there talks about how smart and wise you are to go into debt, and I am going to make the rarefied and crazy statement that I think debt is dumb. I think it's stupid. Well, a few of you are kind of getting the idea that maybe that'll work, you know. But if, can you imagine if I go into a public setting and I'm speaking, you know, in a, in a motivational seminar with a big lineup of big-name seminar guys and that kind of thing, and then I get up there and I'm the guy saying in this culture, car payments are stupid, credit cards are dumb, and home equity loans crazy? I mean, can you imagine that I'm the guy that says you can be a student without a student loan? I mean, it, that is exactly against everything you hear out there. And so what I've got to do is more than just merely tickle your brain a little bit to get you to look at things differently. I've got to completely crush a cultural paradigm to even be heard on this subject. I'm going to attempt to do that in our time together. With some of you it will work and some of you are going to go, he's just crazy. <laughs> the boy has just lost it. And that's fine. I'm cool with that because, well, you know, we've already figured out normal is broke. And I don't want to be normal. My goal is total weirdness. You know, the Wall Street Journal says 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to be normal. Figure out what most of the people are doing out there. Don't do it. You're in pretty good shape. <laughs> that's an idea. But when it comes to this debt subject, you know, if you tell a lie, you spread a myth loud enough, long enough, and often enough, eventually it becomes accepted as the truth. You know, if I get my compass out, I could establish really quickly that right through there is north, according to a compass. Now, there's always some moron that will argue with that, isn't there? But that's the truth. But if I spent $482 million a year per year for a decade or two trying to convince people that was north, some would begin to believe it. Because they saw it on television, so it must be true. Everything on TV is true, isn't it? I mean, reality TV is real, isn't it? Come on, I mean, really? Isn't it amazing how we just buy into this stuff? And that's what we're talking about here. And see, debt has been marketed to us with such intensity, with such sophistication, and the marketing, and with a large amount of marketing dollars for so long that to even imagine living without debt requires a complete paradigm shift, a completely new way of looking at things. Now, the way you get a paradigm shift, the way you get a new way of looking at things is... You put stuff into your brain that wasn't in there before, and that's what we're going to do tonight. You know, when you read a book and you go, wow, that's, I never thought of that that way before, and it gives you a new way of looking at marriage or a new way of looking at raising kids or a new way of, you know, controlling your physique and losing weight or, or, or building muscle or learning to run or ride bikes or whatever it is you're going to do. When you, you get a new way of doing things from learning, 
And that's what we're doing here tonight. So congratulations for being with us. You know, our great-great-grandparents thought debt was a sin. I mean, think about it. Here's some interesting actual facts. The 1910 Sears catalog. Now, this is Sears. Credit card city Sears. The 1910 Sears catalog said, buying on credit is folly. Now, that's another generation, isn't it? J.C. Penney, Mr. J.C. Penney, was nicknamed, because he was so tight, James Cash Penny, because he didn't believe in debt. And while he was alive, J.C. Penney, the stores, offered no credit, ever. Henry Ford of Ford Motor Company fame hated debt. Ford Motor never offered credit on cars until 10 years after General Motors did because of Henry's personal disdain for debt. These are actual facts. But that's a whole two, three generations ago almost now, isn't it? And we look back there, our great, great grandparents basically thought debt was a sin. Our grandparents, they thought debt was really dumb and they borrowed on a couple of things. And, you know, so around 1950, we see the birth of what we now call the credit card by a guy named Frank McNamara. Frank printed up some plastic cards in the city of New York City and, and, and started handing them out as a way to go. Several restaurants began to accept these cards, and it was the very first credit card out there. It was called Diners Club, and it is still around out there, actually. Around 1958, out on the West Coast, there was a little company called Bank America card sprung up, which was the precursor and later became known as Visa. In 1958, American Excess, I mean Express, was born. <laughs> so these are, this is some interesting history on this. See, our grandparents thought debt was dumb. Our parents come along, they start to borrow on everything. By 1970, only 15% of Americans owned plastic. In 1976, Bank AmeriCard changed its name and became Visa just 30-some-odd years ago. Visa, in the scope of the history of the world, is a fairly new product. And here's an interesting one, too. Some of you didn't know this. Back in 1986, Sears got in a little dispute with Visa, didn't like the fee structure. So they said, we'll show you. We'll just start our own brand. And Discover Card was born by Sears. And it was, became the most profitable division of Sears. And when Sears got in financial trouble, the way they survived that financial upheaval was they sold off the Discover card accounts and brand and made a ton of money on it. So our great-grandparents thought debt was a sin. Our grandparents thought it was really stupid. Our parents borrowed on a few things. We come along, we borrow on everything. I mean, you go down to a pet store, you get 90 days, same as cash on Rover. Come here, baby. Repo man's here. <laughs> and over 6 billion credit card offers went out last year. 6 billion. That's 6,000 million. And 18 million people accepted it. One of my listeners mailed me this in from our radio show from Bank One. It's the Bank One Platinum MasterCard. It's interesting. It's... Uh, uh, it says, solid line of credit up to $100,000. It's addressed to Mr. Toby Cocker on Rocky Mountain Parkway. And my listener wrote across the front, Dave, this is my dog's name. <laughs> Toby the Cocker Spaniel. And Toby's been dead four years. 
six billion credit card offers out there, including Mr. Toby Cocker. What we're saying here is, is that banks are very, very good at selling their product. And what you and I have got to realize as consumers is debt is not a privilege. Debt is a product. See, if you're, how many of you own a business or in sales of any kind? Raise your hand. How would you feel if Monday morning when you got to the front door, there were people lined up down the street on one knee saying, please sell me your stuff? And you say, well, I'll have to check your credit. Wouldn't that be an interesting way to be? See, if you and I had done as good a job selling our stuff as the banks have selling Americans on believing debt is necessary to, to exist and debt is necessary to prosper, now we go in to buy their product on bended knee. We go in and say, please sell me your debt. And then when they approve us to buy their product, it's like getting accepted to a, a country club that nobody can get in. You know, it's like, I, I, I got a, you know, I've got a plutonium card. I, I was accepted. Isn't that, That's tremendous marketing. It's called a negative sale. When you can get someone wanting something, take it away from them so they chase you to get it. That is powerful because everybody wants to get into a crowded restaurant, don't they? Everybody wants to buy something that's no longer on the shelves, don't they? That's scarcity kind of feeling, and that's the way debt has been marketed and very effectively to where now we think we're someone if we get approved. Isn't that an interesting twist and how they've been able to pull that off culture-wide, I think it's excellent. I think they're, they're very, very smart, and I, and I think they're very good at what they're doing. But, you know, if we go into any other store, and, and the salesman comes up and says, Can I help you, please? You say, Oh, no, I'm just looking. <laughs> I mean, what if you went into a bank and they said, Can I help you, please? You say, No, I'm just looking. Instead, you go, Would you please give me a car loan? Please, because I need a car. We're begging them to buy from them. That's excellent, excellent marketing. And now we've reached the point that 25% of families now have a negative net worth. And I just pulled this up today. This is very interesting. Last year, the gross revenues for the credit card industry was over $150 billion as a whole. That is more than the gross national product of Egypt, Puerto Rico, and the Bahamas combined. This is a big deal. And these guys are very good at what they're doing. I'm not saying they're evil, and I'm not paranoid. I don't think there's a conspiracy. I just think they're a lot better at selling than we are at not buying. I think they're excellent at what they do. And I'm really kind of in awe of them in an evil, whacked-out sort of way. So how do we break this? Well, I've got to give you a whole new way of looking at things. And remember, what I want you to do is I want you to look at the screen and play my games with me. Look at this for a second. How many of you see the white candlestick or the vase in the middle? This is not a trick. Raise your hand. If you'll look, it's there. Keep looking until everyone sees it. I'll wait till you get your hands up. Keep looking. It's there. Do you see it? Does everybody see it? Get your hand up when you see it. Good. Thank you. How many of you see two faces looking at each other? Good. How many of you see two people getting ready to kiss? Sex fiends. Okay, now, it's your way of looking at things. What can I say? Here's another one. Look at this one. I am nowhere. I am now here. Your eyes saw one immediately. You're either lost or you have arrived. 
I don't know which it is, and we're not getting into the psychological mumbo-jumbo of that garbage, right? But the bottom line is, your eyes saw one quickly, didn't they? And then when we showed you the other one, you went, oh, there it is. Now, you could see that little thing 15 years from now, and your eyes will immediately see one, and your brain will say, there's another one. Wait a minute. Let me look for the, for the file. And then it comes forward and drops into the RAM, the short-term memory, and you'll go, oh, there's the other one. I remember now. I am nowhere. I am now here. Here's another one. You've got to look real carefully at this one to see it. <laughs> the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Slave to the lender. You see, what happens to most of us is we get out of school and we get married, right? No, this is not marriage. But Sharon and I, we got out of school. We had a little bit of a student loan debt. We had too much on a MasterCard and a lot on an Amico card because when I was in college, I bought a couch on my Amico card. I don't think you're supposed to do that, are you? God said it was okay, though. And we started off our lives broke. You remember when you started off broke. We ain't got money, honey, but we got love. Good thing, too, because we ain't got no money. And we were eating in a, off a card table, driving a 1902 Pinto, just getting our lives started. You remember. And, and, and that's about the time all those Pintos were blowing up. I don't know if any of you remember that or not. And my wife was driving the Pinto, so we were getting a little worried here. My buddies are going, but you've got good life insurance, don't you? <laughs> So I got all embarrassed, went and bought my wife a brand new car I wanted. Yeah, some of the ladies understood that one, yeah. And then we're in this little apartment watching this television sideways that we bought at a, at a garage sale. And, and so I went down to one of the electronics store and to get me a good television. 90 days, same as... Yeah, you know about that. Because I'm a finance major. I'm going to get that free money. I'm going to use that free money. I'm going to beat them up. And I bought a, a stereo television, which meant I had to get a, a stereo. And then I had to get an entertainment center to put all this stuff in. Now, we're in a one-bedroom flea-bag apartment eating off a card table, but we have a stereo system shaking eight-block area. <laughs> priorities, baby, priorities. And that's how we started off our lives. And then our friends came over and said, Oh, you've been married 20 minutes and you haven't bought a house yet? Oh, renters go to hell. <laughs> oh, you can't be a renter. Got to buy a house, 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 got to buy a house. Now listen, I want you to get a house, but broke people shouldn't buy a house. That blessing will turn into a nightmare. And so we went and we got a house with nothing down, because that's what we had to put down, nothing. They called it creative financing. We thought it was creative. Here we got no money, we signed our name and got a house. This is, this is just good. In America, what a country. And we bought a house in the same neighborhood that I grew up in. You see, Larry Burkett used to say, we spend the first five to seven years of our marriage trying to attain the same standard of living as our parents. Only it takes them 35 years to get there. So we're in the same neighborhood as mom and dad, had a better car than mom and dad, and for sure had a better stereo system than mom and dad. <laughs> That's how we started off our lives. We have people that look like this come into our office all the time. They're going, dude, can you get me out? See, the sad thing is 52% of the marriages in America end in divorce. Of those that divorce in the first seven years, well, guess what they tell us? 90% of those say marriage problems caused the young marriage to crash. Money problems caused the young marriage to crash. 
You see, it's no fun like this to be married. You know why? Your leg gets tired. <laughs> so we made a decision, Sharon and I, that the borrower really is slave to the lender, that that's as true as the fact that that is north. It's the truth. Whether we liked it, whether it was convenient, whether it hurt our feelings, it was still the truth. And we made a decision to get out of these things. And we worked like animals. We sold stuff. We drove old beat-up used cars. Our kids grew up in consignment sale. Yes, experienced clothing. <laughs> but their college fund was funded, Oshkosh Bagosh. <laughs> and we made a decision we weren't living like everybody else. We figured out what normal was, and we didn't want any part of it. And it took us a while. It took us a lot longer than some of you that are working our program. But finally, we reached the point. Finally, we, we busted it and we pushed and we twisted and we turned and we sacrificed and we didn't go on vacation and we did all the stuff we talk about all the time. And finally, we paid off everything, even the house. <laughs> you know what you can do if you don't have any payments? Anything you want. You know how hard it is to make money, save money, give money, and invest money when you don't already have everybody else's name on your money before it comes in? It's easy to make money, save money, give money, and invest money when you don't have someone else's name on everything you have. When all the money comes in and all the money goes out and only the names are changed to protect the innocent, it takes all the fun out of the deal. But, Dave, what about... And that's what I get when I go around the country talking about debt. People generally go, yeah, debt's a bad thing, and we borrow too much in America. We get that, Dave. We understand. And it's a concept and a philosophy and a theology. We grasp that. But, Dave, what about? And then there's their little thing that they think is different. And, and there, we all used to get these but Daves so much that we finally, on our talk radio show, the Dave Ramsey Show, we started doing a but Dave theme hour <laughs> where you could call in and ask me about your but Dave. And we would go into it, and I started hearing. And what I started realizing is, is that people not only had believed the overall myth that debt was the way to win with money, but they had all of these very specific little lies built into the big lie that they had believed. We call them myths. If you spread a lie, tell it often enough and loud enough, eventually it becomes accepted as the truth. We um, offered financial peace two years ago in September. 2008, and there were about 40 of us that went through FPU. Um, since then, since from the start of that program till now, Janie and I have paid off about $13,000 in debt. By this summer, we will have paid off $16,000 of debt. The only thing we'll have left to pay off is our house, and we intend to pay that off in, in four years and be debt-free. Do you think we are looking forward to that day when we are completely debt-free? Jeff and Teresa have paid off every debt, including their house, since we started the beginning of Financial Peace University. Do you think they were happy when they paid it off? We got this big text, and there's all these exclamation points. We are debt-free. Dave has a program. We can't wait. On Fridays, you call in, and you get whoever. He says, who's there with you? How much debt have you paid off? And, you know, when you've paid off the house and everything, and you scream out, we're debt-free. And then he does the freedom from, uh, what's the movie? Braveheart. Braveheart. Thank you. 
And, and people do this, and I just can't wait until that day because we will no longer be in bondage. And what I fear is we got a church full of normal people. Now, we say we're weird, and we're weird you know, every other way except when it comes to finances, except when it comes to debt. And we are very normal financially, which means we are all kinds of in debt. And I don't want to be that way. And I really don't think you want to either. So we're going to offer FPU again in a few weeks. Financial Peace University costs $90 for the materials. And some of you are going, $90. I know because we had all kinds of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth last time. We can't afford $90. And those same people left that day, went out to eat, spent about 60 to eat. Some of those same people snuck off to other cities. They didn't go here to buy new cars during that time. They snuck off to other cities where nobody knew where they were because they knew what they were doing was wrong. I can't afford $90, but I'll sign up for a $25,000 car where I've got all kinds of debt monthly, but I can't afford $90. So don't give me that crap that you can't afford $90. If you can't afford $90 to pay for FPU, what that tells me is you want to stay in debt. My two cents, spend it wisely. Now, if we are going to admit some things today, if we're going to be honest, we've got to admit that debt, many of us have gone through that road to destruction. And debt is um, it's stealing our joy. It's killing our relationships because I hear it all the time in marriage counseling. And it's destroying our futures. And it does not have to. So I want to define debt for you today because the false shepherd is over there saying, come this way, come this way, buy this, buy this, because this will make you happy. Whenever he tells you that lie, the false shepherd tells you that lie, I want you to say, don't ever believe that. That's what's on your listening guide. Don't ever believe that. In fact, I want you to say that with me while you're writing. Let's see how talented you are, if you can multitask. Don't ever believe that. Say it again. Don't ever believe that. Now, the Bible is very specific. Let me give you some reasons the Bible says we go into debt. Proverbs 21.20 says, Wise people live in wealth and luxury. How many of... No, we won't even go there. Because the next part. But stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Stupid spending leads to dumb debt. So, number one, stupid spending not even going to ask how many of you have a budget because some of you think that's a curse word. Budget, oh gosh, no. A budget is just planned spending. A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Poor people always wonder where it went. Poor people always get to the end of the money and say, what happened to the money? I don't know. So reason number one we go into debt is stupid spending. Don't ever believe that stupid spending is the way to freedom. Proverbs 21.5, if you plan and work hard, you will have plenty. If you get, up, get in a hurry, you will end up poor. Reason number two, impulse buying. No one ever has done that. No one has said something, I've got to have it now. I know people that decide while they're sitting at work, they drive to the, to the car lot that day. Actually, one of them called, I'm coming to get a car. 
Have it ready when I get there. And do you know the salesman was going, I'm going to make so much money off this sucker. He's done no research. He's coming. He wants a car. Impulse buying. I think the only time I've done that, Janie and I were married about a year, and we went to get a new mattress. We had a queen-size mattress, which was not, I'm psycho sleeper. I can hear everything. I can feel every movement on the mattress, and a queen size was not big enough. I actually, because she touched me, man, I'm telling you, I'm just psycho sleeper. And so when we first got married, I put a pillow in between us. And I'm like, baby, I love you, and as long as I'm awake, we can snuggle, kiss, have sex, whatever. I'm not supposed to say that when she's in here, so don't look at it. <laughs> but when it's time for sleep, I'm serious about sleep, so don't cross this line. And, and so, so we went to buy a, a, a mattress, and her family, they bought stuff. I mean, they had money. They bought stuff. My family, we were very poor. We didn't buy stuff. And so we go to – I always do research. I have a, a subscription to Consumer Reports, and I research everything. Drove her nuts the first four or five years of our marriage because she finally figured out if she'd tell me a year and a half before she wanted it, I would have it all researched. I'd have things printed out. I'd know the best of the best, and I'd know which one we were looking for. This day we go to, to Mattress Giant in, in uh, Arlington, Texas, laid down on one mattress. I said, I'll take it. And she goes, what? And I said, unless you don't want to. She goes, oh, no, 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 I like the mattress. We spent way too much for that mattress. And within probably four or five years, it was like her, her description was this mattress that was so good was like sleeping in two canoes. She was in her canoe over here, and if we wanted to see each other, you had to peek up over the hill in the middle. Forget rolling over into each other's territory. We didn't have that much energy or strength in the middle of the night to go mountain climbing. We were in two stinking canoes. But I had to have it. I believed that that mattress would make me happy. Don't ever believe that impulse buying is the way to freedom. Proverbs 13, 4. No matter how much a lazy person may want something, he will never get it. A hard worker will get everything he wants. So this one is laziness. Saving is too hard and it takes too long. By the time I save enough money to buy it, they won't even make that model anymore. Here's your sign that you don't need it. They'll make something newer and better. And it's fun to pay cash instead of having to pay more than it's worth over the life of the debt. Now, Jesus said, I am the way to financial freedom. Here, here direct quote from our Savior, the founder of our religion, Matthew 6.24. You cannot serve both God and money. That means you cannot go through the door of debt... And serve God at the same time, financially, because you will be in bondage. And I've heard of lots of people, oh, I want to go do this, I want to do this, I want to do this for God. But they can't because they are tied to their debt. I can't possibly do what God wants me to do. And that includes people going on mission trips, people going into ministry. I can't go into ministry because I am tied to debt and it's killing my future. You think they have any joy? Jesus said, you've got to make a choice. You can't serve money and God at the same time. 
Dave Ramsey said it. You can't be normal financially and follow God at the same time. So if broke is normal, I want to be the weirdest sucker on the block. So how do I begin to choose God's door? Well, if you're behind the door of debt, if you're over there in the destruction area, pay particular attention. We're going to run through these real quickly. Six things that can help you. First, wait at least 24 hours for big purchases. And I should have put in there, why don't you pray for at least 24 hours before big purchases? Well, no, because God will say no. Why would, why would I possibly want to do that? Give me a break. Number two is pay off your debt. In Dave Ramsey's system, he has seven baby steps. First baby step is to get a $1,000 emergency fund because stuff breaks. And what people do is they'll go, oh, well, it's broken. I have to get it fixed. Pull out the credit card and they'll slap it down. And then they'll go right back into debt. Since we started Financial Peace University, we've, we've bought a, a, what have we bought? A, an oven. We bought, oh, our air conditioner went out this last year, $800, $850 for our outside unit of our air conditioner. We had an emergency fund. And do you think that made us feel good to know that, oh, there the money is? Right now, we've got over $2,000 in our emergency fund. So if stuff happens, we are protected. Does this make sense to anyone else? Okay, I'm just checking. Pay off debt. I can't wait to pay off. And by the way, David calls it stup- uh, Dave Ramsey calls it stupid tax. Everybody has stupid tax. Impulse buying, stupid buying. You're paying stupid tax because my debt that I'm paying for I just paid off my truck that I sold two years ago. That's some stupid debt. Number three, share responsibility for the debt. This particularly goes to couples. There shouldn't be, oh, this is my debt and this is your debt and we've got 16 different accounts and this is my account and this is your account and I don't care what happens to your money. I'm paying off. That's just stupid. Because the Bible says when you get married, the two become one. Money becomes one. If that makes you mad, talk to God. I don't care. Number four, have veto power. If you're in debt, then you ought to consider the $100 rule. The $100 rule is cool for people in debt. That means if you're going to buy something that costs over $100, the other person in the marriage has veto power. Unless it applies to fishing equipment. And then all bets are off. (laughs) Number five, pay with cash. I don't know if you've ever walked up to buy something that's several hundred dollars and you got those nice, crisp $100 bills in your hand. Some of you have never seen them. They're pretty cool. I try to collect as many of them as I can because I don't like to spend $100 bills. I don't like to break the suckers. So I have a stack of them that I just opened up a new account the other day. I'm like, whoo, check this out. I don't like to spend them. You go into a store with that latest gadget that you have to have and you count out two or 20 of those $100 bills, $2,000 worth of $100 bills, you just might decide, I like these better than I like the new toy. Because there's something about plastic. You don't feel it. That's why credit card companies want you to have one. That's why they're trying to get Toby the Cocker Spaniel a credit card. So somebody can pay for something that they don't have the money for. Pay with cash. And the last one is teach your kids. 
For those of you trying to fill in your blanks, a lot of my kids do this, and I know a lot of you try to guess what the blank is before I get there. This is not kill your kids. That would be cheaper in the long run, but illegal and certainly not what God wants you to do. So this is teach your kids, not kill your kids. We did this when we first got married, first had kids. We would say to our kids, we can't afford that. All you're doing is teaching your children a poor man or poor woman's mentality. What we try to say now is we choose not to spend our money that way because we have this budget plan, because we have this debt payment plan. We choose to spend our money this way. So you're teaching them something different. And then train your children how to do money. When my kids graduate... All of the financial decisions are on them. We pay them a salary. We increase that salary every year. So they have to pay for haircuts, right? They have to pay for shoes and clothes and stuff like that out of their salary. If they are broke, I don't care because I paid you a salary. I paid you what I would have done for you. By the time they're 18, I want to make all of those decisions so that they're trained before they leave my house. Then if they go out and they act a fool, I'm going to say, man, you stupid. Because I trained you. I did my part. And if you're going to lose your brain, that's your choice. Now, God's door to financial freedom is so different than anyone else's. Here's the basics real quickly. The 10-10-80 plan. Train your children to save 10%. First is to give 10%. If you come through Financial Peace University, first thing Dave Ramsey is going to say, you take 10% off the top, you give it to God. Because God has promised to be supernaturally involved in your finances if you honor Him. 10% straight to God. We've done that for 19 years as a couple. Second is 10% to yourself. Now, in Dave's plan, we're paying off debt. As soon as we get finished with this $16,000 of debt that we've paid off in, in less than two years... We're going to start socking that money away to us. So wheat, chunk of change. Then when I get out of, I'm not going to have a house payment in four years. Holy cow. I'm taking a honking cruise every stinking year. Right now I have to save two to three years to go on a cruise. Now the 80% is that's where you pay everything else. Now here's the deal. If you can save, give to God 10%, Save 10%. If you can pay all of your other bills off the 80% and still have something set aside to go on a vacation, live it up. Do not feel guilty. If you can buy a motorcycle on the 80% after the bills are paid, woo, sucker, you are living up there. You're, you're weird. You're weird because you're not like anybody else in our country. And I want to be weird as they can be. Don't be normal. Be weird. 